Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, thanks so much, Pastor James. Uh, I'm excited to be before you and just want to welcome you again to Bridge Church. Uh, As Pastor James said, we are wrapping up our series on being a pillar uh, today. A pillar is something that is essential to hold up a person or a thing. And we're going to talk about how these pillars are essential to hold you up as well as hold the church up as well. They're being prayerful, biblical, grateful, unified, and aligned. So let's get into it. So the first thing we need, I have to just acknowledge, is I have to thank Pastor James today for giving me the most challenging pillar of them all. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's the one that people respect, but not a lot of people like. I guess you could call it the Tom Brady of pillars. It's probably the only one we not only have to explain, but also make a case for. So let me just give us some basic definitions. Uh, A line has two similar meanings. One is to bring into line or order, and the second is to support a person or a cause, right? To align to a cause. In the context of being a pillar, You can't talk about being aligned without talking about leadership and institutions. And that's the rub. We live in a time of probably the greatest erosion of trust in leadership and institutions in human history. Now, I know I have to appeal to a source to back that up since you probably don't trust my word on it, so I have to explain it. So here we go. There's a a group called the Edelman uh, Group. It's a group that does a trust barometer every year. The Edelman Trust Barometer actually just came out reviewing 2020. And what they found was that trust in the major institutions of our societies, and they do this globally and specifically in the U.S., we're at all-time lows. Trust in business was at 51%. So what that means is that only about half the people in the, in, in the population believe that businesses actually say and do what they, what, do what they say they're going to do, or that, that, that businesses have our best interests in mind. And some of us know what that feels like when you're told that uh, something is going to be shipped by a certain day, praise God, and, and, and it ain't there yet, right? And, you know, there's a, there's a certain distrust. But the numbers declined even further when they looked at trust in the media, Only 41% of the population said that they trusted that the things that they were told when they watched the news, which was a source of information, was actually accurate. We've We've all heard the mantra, fake news. And the thing that was even lower than that was trust in government. 40% of the people, so I mean 60% of people say, I don't trust the government to actually tell me the right thing, to do the right thing. 
And we saw last month what it looks like, an insurrection that was based on people saying, despite all of the evidence to the contrary, that the election itself was rigged. These things lead to two, one of two different responses that we can have. The first, and as we saw last month, is that of cynicism toward leadership and institutions. Just a complete distrust, a complete rejection. I can't trust anything. The other extreme has its dangers as well. It's blind faith. Just, oh, you know, I just got to trust everything. And, and we've seen historically the danger of, of the blind faith model. Some of us may remember something called the Tuskegee experiment. It was a, one of the great tragedies in American history when a, a group of medical professionals told a, a, a group of African-American, like mostly poor and, and working class farmers that they wanted to track them to, to, to see how they could help them in their health journey. About half the group had syphilis and they were told that they were going to be giving these medical treatments to, to cure them. But instead of, of, of giving them treatments, they were given placebos. Nothing at all. And this went on, not for 10 years, not for 20 years, not for 30 years. Over 40 years, these men, just their health declined as they were told by doctors that they were given medical uh, treatment when they were actually given nothing. So it's no surprise that because of that sense of blind faith, that sense of just a trust in, in, in what, the, you know, what they were being told, why now many of us are distrustful when there's a vaccine that people come out and say, this is going to help you. Inject this. Now, it's amazing when you think about the fact that over 460,000 people have died in America in just the last year of COVID, and yet many of us express this senses of hesitation because of the past. So in, in, in a moment like this, what do we do? Well, Edelman also looks at trust in religious leaders. It's at an all-time low. 42% said that they don't, only 42% of people said that they trust religious leaders to do what is right. Now, I'm not saying that there's not reason for any of these aspects of distrust, right? Like, it's understandable. We don't, we don't even get shocked anymore when we hear political or religious leaders uh, behaving badly and doing things that they shouldn't do. It's just kind of the novelty has worn off. We almost kind of expect it. But here's the challenge that I want to pre present before us. The, having no sense of uh, confidence and trust in leadership is really not an option. Like, we're not really even wired that way. You see, we're designed that you're always going to put your trust in some leader or in some institution. If you're cognizant of it or not, you're putting it somewhere. And so Edelman saw that even as these uh, trust in these institutions was eroding, trust in people's peers went up and trust in themselves went up. But the Bible has an alternative. Because if you're if you anything like me, you realize that trusting yourself to always know and do the right thing is not always the most trustworthy source of information or insight, right? 
But the Bible offers an, an, an alternative that's neither cynicism nor blind faith. It's something else. And, and for the skeptic out there that says, well, you know, I just do me. I, I, what do you mean that all of us uh, trust in some type of institutional leader? No, I don't. I just do me. Oh, really, where'd you get that idea from? I, I, I'll show you. Because the just doing me, not listening to what God has to say or anybody else, that comes from somewhere. And we find it in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Look, look, look at this. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your hearts, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You see, the Bible depicts that Lucifer chose not to be in alignment to God's plan. Instead, he said, I will be like the Most High. Why should I worship God when I could just do my own thing instead? And you see, God is the only one who doesn't have to be aligned because he is the line with which we are all measured. <laughs> but he's the only one. And that same deception... That same rebellion of Lucifer that says in heaven, I will be like the most high. Look at what he does in the garden when he tells Adam and Eve, you will be like God if you disobey him and do your own thing. So they're thinking, oh, I am making the decision to eat of this fruit. I'm doing me when in actuality they were following the playbook of someone else who was leading the way. You're either going to be led by somebody, one or the other. The key question is, who are you going to be led by? All of us are following some blueprint. For Kobe, there was Michael Jordan. For Jay-Z, there was Biggie, even though he called it the blueprint. And even in nature, every bee in a hive responds to their leader, who is the queen. So when the queen says, get in formation, they all align to her will. Some of y'all catch that on their way out. So here's the point. The question is not if, if I'm aligned, but what standard am I aligning myself to? And here's the encouragement. We're not the first society to experience a decline of trust amidst instability and hostility. We find in the letter to Hebrews that there was a church that was being persecuted from without and receiving fake news of false teaching from within. In the midst of such unrest, the author, in, in, in his brilliant writing, it's one of the, my favorite books in the Bible because of how, how eloquent he, he writes for 12 chapters on the authority of Jesus Christ, who is the center and the head of all things that we must submit ourselves under. We must be aligned under. And, and then in the last chapter, in chapter 13, which we're about to get into, he unfolds the practical outworking of that sense of alignment. In verse 7, we read, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The first step in being aligned is to remember your leaders, and what they taught. 
It's interesting that he connects these things together. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word. The first criteria of alignment is choosing leadership that is aligned to God's word. You see, this is the great equalizer. It's not just that leaders get to say and do whatever they want and it can change up the rules and change up the concept. This is not blind faith. That, that, that's a, a manipulative tactic or, uh, or something else because the scriptures in themselves give us the criteria by which we can say, I can be aligned to this leader. In the Old Testament, for example, in Deuteronomy 18.22, it says, if the prophet's words don't come true, don't listen to them. He's not a prophet. There's a criteria established to it. Because this ain't the first time, we ain't the first time around when people are false prophets claiming that someone is going to be in power and they never come into power. Claiming that something's going to happen and it never happens. This ain't the first time that that happened. In the New Testament, the Bereans in chapter, uh, in Acts, it says that they were noble because they didn't just believe what the Apostle Paul said, but they searched the Scriptures to see if it was true. And so, it's, remember your leader's teaching, because our authority relies on the authority of God and His Word. So, if there's a disagreement, that's where we go to, and that's where we defer to. This is not just about man's opinion but about what does God have to see. You see, in the world, it, it, it has to do with whatever people want to believe and what they construct and what they come up with and who you, whose personality might you like. But, but for us here, we're influenced by what does the Word say, and the buck stops there. So what's our position on how to know God? It's in the Word, John 3.16. What's our position on spiritual gifts? It's in the Word. You can go to 1 Corinthians 14. What's our position on a Christian sexual ethic and premarital sex? You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. What's our position on social justice? Go to Micah 6, 8. Remember our teaching, and you know where we stand. Being aligned means getting information with that teaching. Now, some might say, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of interpretations out there. And you know what? There's a lot of options of where you can fellowship if you don't align with this interpretation. But here's the thing. We invite questions. We invite process. We can recognize that everyone, this is why we reach people where they are to help them grow. But at the end of the day, we need to be rooted and aligned to God's Word, and that's the standard. But look at the second part of that verse. It says, remember that the, 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 your leaders and their teaching, but also it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's not just a doctrinal component to this, there's also an ethical component to this. In, 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 in the church, character counts in leadership. So it's not enough to just say, oh, I'm rightly dividing the word of truth, but your life is raggedy. Leaders are held accountable to being above reproach, above uh, dispute, to be able to say, look, that, that person is someone that I want to imitate, and that if I follow them, then I'm actually cl going closer to following Christ. Can that be true about the leaders that you have? See, most of the destruction of trust that we have in our culture right now, across government, across other businesses, is because people don't practice what they preach. So that's why this criteria for alignment is consider their way of life. And, you know, the funny thing is we, some of the same people that hold leaders in the church or the government to high esteem don't do it with their artists. 
I remember when I started to realize that a lot of our favorite artists don't follow the criteria of, of their life being consistent with their message. <laughs> like, I remember when I first discovered that a lot of the MCs with the most violent and ignorant lyrics grew up in the suburbs and graduated from college. Like, I was like messed up, right? Like, before Ice Cube was in NWA doing America's Most Wanted, he had graduated with a drafting degree for architecture as an engineer. Like, like certain people you expect, like Chuck D, Public Enemy, you like, okay, J. Cole, you, you're like, I, I'm not surprised that they got a degree, right? But you know how Doc, Chuck D met Flavor Flav? In college. <laughs> Flavor Flav has a culinary degree. Flavor Flav. <laughs> So the next time you watch Flavor of Love, then you realize that you're talking about someone who is a college graduate. So what is up with the persona? They know they can make money creating a character. But that character is not consistent with what is actually true behind closed doors. The question is, do my leaders' lips match their lives? One of the things that drew me, actually, to Bridge Church was I've known Pastor James since he was in college. We, it's been over 20 years, and, and over throughout that time, we've been in ministry together, and I've been able to see this, this brother with his family. I've been able to see him, you know, on stage, off stage, and seeing the same person, a consistency that causes me to go, yeah, I can follow. I can get into alignment with that leader. Same thing with Pastor Josh. I've seen the off stage on the on stage, and it's the same person, and that's important. But here's the other criteria. In verse 8, he says, Get this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, man. Another basic aspect to being in alignment is if they preach the same Jesus that is in the Scriptures. It's pretty simple. Jesus ain't changed. Yesterday, today, and forever. So many false teachings, so, many, so much People being burnt by bad doctrine would have been avoided if people would have understood and heed this, that Jesus hasn't changed. And especially in New York City, this has been a breeding place for some of the, the, the biggest cults and false teachings in the world. In the 1800s, there was a cat named John Smith in New York, said he found some tablets, some golden tablets that had some new writings about God. And in these new writings, Jesus had showed up into the Americas, told him that polygamy was on, and that white people were the chosen ones. And they moved out to Utah and became the Mormon church. There was another group that said, you know what, all these other churches out there, they're not the real church. That We go from the New Testament age, and there was just nothing until us. And actually, we have a, the real interpretation, the real translation, the New World translation of the Scriptures. And they refer to themselves as the only witnesses, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so in these different scenarios, we see what happens when people distort and turn who Jesus is. And that's just in the context of Christianity. We can go outside and look at those cats talking about, well, you know, he was an avatar or he was a prophet. And it's like, wait a minute, Jesus is the same. He didn't change. The, the, the death, burial, resurrection is still the truth, right? Jesus still saves, like nothing has changed. If the teaching doesn't align to who Jesus is, then you got the wrong one. 
And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He actually gives us insight into what it means to be aligned. I mean, let's, let's paint the picture. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is with the disciples. He's hanging out with them. And he asks them two questions. And, and both of them have to do with alignment. He says, who do people say that I am? And they give various answers that were off the mark about what the people were saying about who Jesus was. Then the second question, who do you say that I am? You've been with me. You've heard me. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, it says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Oh, look at what Jesus, how Jesus responds to this. He says, oh, Peter, you got in an alignment. Look at this. He responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Look at Jesus' response. You see, he says, wow, you understood. You connected it. You know who I am. So because you've connected with Jesus, then, you, then that automatically connects you to his people. This is the first time in the entire Bible that the word church is used. Why is it that in identifying with Jesus correctly, Jesus immediately connects Peter to the church? Because he says, look, connecting to God means connecting to the church. If you're connecting to God, then you're connecting with the church. If you're connecting to God, then you're connecting with the church. Connecting with God means connecting with his people. To love God means to be in pursuit of loving his people and to be in alignment with his church. And let me tell you something, saints. In the New Testament, there's no such thing as a Christian who's not a part of a local church. It doesn't exist. Now, we know things happen. Pandemics occur, and it's hard sometimes to find. It takes time to find a local congregation, a local assembly. That's understandable, but that ought to be the goal. And Peter became in alignment because he saw who Jesus was, and because he saw who Jesus was, Jesus entrusted him with the church and said, now you are going to be the leader of the church. But look at that connection that Jesus understood that in order to fulfill my mission, it needed to be done in an organized way, in a way that was going to build the body of believers together. But then he begins to reveal some things to Jesus, to Peter and the disciples as a result of this confession. Check it out. And this is another thing because alignment gives you more insight into your leaders. Check it. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. So now, because they understood who he was, because they aligned to, to what Jesus was saying he was, Jesus begins to unfold the plan to them and say, okay, this is about to, what's going to happen. It's about to go down, and guess what? This, this, a plot twist is coming that you didn't see. You thought I was just going to come riding in as a powerful king. I'm actually going to be on a donkey. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed, but don't trip because I'm going to resurrect again. I'll be raised. Now, Peter who just got into formation and just got this incredible commendation. Look at how he responds. And Peter took him aside, Jesus, and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Pause. What do you got to be on 
when you start rebuking Jesus. Like, he pulled him aside like, yo, um, bruh, can I talk to you for a second? Yeah, man, I don't know if you, you ain't been on your prayer game today, but, like, you shouldn't be talking like that. Because the Messiah, you know, he's not going to be crucified and die. So I think you need to get your prayer life up, Jesus. Like, that's crazy. He rebuked Jesus. He was, <laughs> look at how Jesus responds. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What just happened? He was just Peter's biggest cheerleader just a couple verses ago. And now he says, get behind me, Satan. You see, Peter got out of alignment with Jesus' plan. And he says that you're not thinking of the things of God, you're thinking of the things of man. And this was the exact strategy that Satan had been trying to use to get Jesus out of alignment with God the Father's plan. If you just skip over, we don't have time to look into it, but later on, go look at Matthew chapter 4 and the temptations Satan offered. Turn, don't suffer. Don't go the way of suffering. Turn this stone into bread. Eat right now, and then I'll recognize who you are. He took him and said, you know what? You only got to go through the cross. Just bow down to me right now, and then I'll give you everything. And Jesus resisted that. And now, unknowingly, because Peter's out of formation and out of alignment with Jesus, he's now being used by the enemy to try to tempt Jesus into avoiding what he needed to do. And this is the important point. This is after Peter's great confession. So the reality is even, alignment is not a one-time thing. We must regularly be realigned to God's work in the church. Regularly be realigned. I remember when I injured my back a few years ago and had to go to the chiropractor, and, and I would go regularly to get realigned. My back needed to be realigned on a regular basis, not just once. And, and, and there's grace in that because we all find ourselves in a place where Jesus needs to do some realignment. But lastly, I'll go to this next, last two verses. If we just skip down in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 17, this leader gives kind of a couple last remarks. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Now, in this verse... The word obey has this instance of uh, this influence of trust and confidence, not just blind faith, but the sense of trust your leaders. And submit has this sense of yield. Like yielding does not always mean that I uh, agree completely, but it means that I'm yielding what I might think is the best idea under the aspect of what you being in your God-given place has, have, have, have been led to do. It reminds me of that movie, <laughs> Jerry Maguire, that came out a couple of decades ago when in the position of leadership of a, a contract situation, Jerry said, help me help you. Help me help you. And that's what the writer gets to in the next verse. He says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
We, need, we all need to be aligned. And for some, those words, obey and submit, those are trigger words for you. Maybe because of your personality, maybe because of your past. There are so many instances where leaders have used coercion or even abuse and said, just submit to my leadership and obey. It's been used to justify sinful behavior, and we're sensitive to that. And if that's your story, we want to walk alongside of you and, 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 and help you to disentangle this sense of this false use with the true sense of what it means to have godly leadership. Yet as leaders, we, are, we have a responsibility for your souls. The verse says we must give an account. We're going to be held accountable. And we've committed our lives to serving the Lord through serving his people. That's you. And that's much more difficult to do when people are out of alignment. As pastors, Pastor Josh and myself, we are getting in alignment with Pastor James's vision for the church. As, as a team of elders, he sometimes needs to align himself to what the collective has, wisdom has said that's been different than what he's thought. But let me tell you something. Can I be honest? Can I be real with you? Yes. The toughest experiences in pastoring have come when people have resisted alignment. And it's of no benefit to anyone because it saps energy, it saps momentum, it saps enthusiasm. And we recognize that this is not the only way to do things or it's not necessarily always even the best, but it's what God has revealed for us to do. And we just want to invite people to be a part of that process. And here's the truth. Being aligned can be painful sometimes. A couple months ago, I went to the dentist in my regular routine checkups, and I was told, they, they kind of gave me this more, like more serious conversation and said that because my teeth were crowding, if they didn't get aligned correctly, then it would be impossible for me to clean them adequately and that there would be in great danger of infection and cavities and things like this. So to fix the problem, they would put these invisible trays in my mouth that over time would straighten out the teeth. I'm now in my fifth week of Invisalign. And let me tell you something, literally having things that are bending things that are, need to be aligned in place is not always pleasant. It hurts, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Not only is it uncomfortable, it has changed my patterns of, of doing things. I have to be very diligent in cleaning them. I have to be, be diligent in putting them back in after I eat. I'm like, hey, y'all, let me time out, pause the movie. I got to go put these back in my mouth. And I don't exactly understand how they work, but I trust the dentist that if my mouth is going to be healthy, it needs to be aligned. Whatever some aspects of your life that are crowding out God. They are out of alignment with his word and, as, and maybe even us as leaders. And, and there's a treatment plan that, that in order to get that alignment and correction that you have to submit yourself to just like I do with my dentist. And, 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 and that might be uncomfortable, but, but, but in the long term, it'll create health. So we wanna encourage you to be part of the solution 
be one of those who, who influence trust and rebuilds trust in institutions, institutions that we all need in order to move forward. Because you see, the enemy wants to isolate. He wants to cause division. He wants you to think, I don't need authority or leadership, which is basically just another way of saying, I can be like God. Let's get aligned so that then we can be assigned. Some of us are going to be watching this football game later today, the Super Bowl. And what I want you to do in light of this message, I just want you to look at how before the, the players run onto the field, oftentimes you'll see them talking to the coach to get into the right alignment with the play that needs to be run. Just want you to think about that. They, they could be the greatest athlete, but, but all of those great athletes have to be aligned according to a game plan that is being set out. And sometimes they don't understand all the elements. They don't have time to break it down, but they trust and they move on and they do that and they run the play. And whoever does that and gets in the alignment the best and runs their assignment the best is the team that wins, which will obviously be the Chiefs. <laughs> but seriously, during this Black History Month, I've been reflecting on the stories and struggles of the African diaspora. And one thing that's been clear is that the creation of institutions has been key to lifting up our voices. In fact, it was at an NAACP event 101 years ago that the most iconic song of that struggle was first performed publicly. The president of the NAACP at the time, James Weldon Johnson, had penned this song, Lift Every Voice. And, and the song re reflects this idea and this moment that we're better. If you look at the, listen to the words, they're all plural, a plurality, not just lift up my voice, but let's lift up every voice. And we do that together when we, when we get under the rock together and we coordinate together, but that takes alignment so that I can live out my assignment. And so we'll we're gonna continue to lift up every voice as a church. We're gonna continue to be part of this institution and part of the building process of this movement. And we want you to be a part of that work as we touch lives around the world. We want you to be part of that process of being aligned as we lift every voice. And we invite you to pray for us as leaders as we do that and, and as we pray together and we learn from each other, we can get to a place that God has for us to go. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed in your word how we can look to you, Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you've given us leadership and you've given us this church, you've given us a pastor whose voice we can trust. And you've even given us criteria by which we can strengthen trust. Lord, would you today give, show us where we need to be realigned, where we might be in, out of alignment. Thank you for using the church to do so much in the history of this country and the history of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. 
You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.